Of all the technologies we talk about here on The Tech Between Us, none affect us as intimately as the one we'll discuss today, digital therapeutics. Healthcare has been undergoing a digital transformation for many years, but it's been accelerated over the last few years because of the pandemic. Digital healthcare options such as telemedicine are now commonplace and frankly sometimes even preferred over face-to-face -face visits. So many aspects of healthcare have gone digital and have been integrated into daily life. Think connected devices like insulin pumps, blood glucose meters, and your own wearable device that sends data back to a central unified system. Big brother with a stethoscope, if you will. To explore this exciting new field of healthcare, I'm talking today with Dr. Smith Patel, Associate Director at the Digital Medicine Society. Hi, Smith. Welcome to The Tech Between Us. Hi, Roman. Thanks for having me. To start us off, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do at the Digital Medicine Society? There's a lot we can do. Before I say what we do, I think I might jump into really quickly on why we do it and frame it in terms of why we were established in the first place. We are a global nonprofit dedicated to advancing ethical, effective, safe, and equitable use of digital tools to optimize and better our health and health outcomes. So essentially, as we were founded in 2019, right before pandemic, we were seeing this digitization of healthcare all across the board. Individuals are using digital tools. However, there were staggering challenges when we think about in the healthcare space. We saw new streams of data coming out with these various digital tools, a lot of organizations not knowing what to do. It. We saw aggravating health equity concerns where tech tools were being developed, like a PPG monitor that was working great for individuals with lighter skin, but Duke Big Labs University found that it was not that accurate from the validation verification for individuals with lighter skin. So just aggravating concerns over health equity developments that was rampant with less, no considerations of equity when we think about AIML tools and siloed fragmented healthcare systems where payment infrastructures are still hard and yet to be determined when it comes to evidence assessment between these tools. And then Last but not the least, how do we even define these various tools as they are building? How can we make sure whole every stakeholder across the industry speaking the same language? So there was a lot of things happening. Healthcare was full of shift at that time when we digitized. Those problems are not different a few years ago, but rather what was different is we now have the tools of digital that we can use in our power with COVID pandemic shift in how people started using various tools and change of care that came with COVID was pretty significant. The shift came from individuals going to hospital to the now care being designed around individuals, around their homes, around their work settings was much more personalized care. Exactly. And that's where Dime came in as this global nonprofit who sits right at the intersection of health and technology. And we call ourselves conveners. We bring stakeholders from investors, payers, regulators, health systems, clinicians, ethicists, engineers, from a hardware to software engineers, designers, all together to determine what good looks like. What is our North Star? We have seen these challenges in healthcare for a very long time. You add a digital layer to that digitization of healthcare. This is not the time that we create more gaps, but rather how can we curb those gaps and build a good North Star 
that works for all individuals, that drives good health outcomes, that improves on equity, that works, and that we do it in an ethical fashion across the tapestry of digital health solutions that are out there. So that's what DIME does, convene various stakeholders together to build standards and frameworks and toolkits and resources that individuals can go back to. Um, with the common North Star in terms of what good looks like. So you're yeah, providing a lot of structure around this huge digital transformation of healthcare and medicine. You said it right in one line. <laughs> when we talk about healthcare and medicine, there is a lot of talk on digital healthcare, digital medicine. Are they one and the same? Are they synonymous or is there a difference between the overall digital healthcare and digital medicine? Really good question. And I think we get this a lot. So when Dime founded, one of the first things we did in a collaborative setting with from our strategic advisor or leadership is to essentially put down a few thoughts around what entails a digital health versus medicine versus therapeutic. So if we think about digital health, which is like this largest category that includes technologies, platforms, health systems, that essentially engage consumers, that has some kind of a lifestyle, wellness, or healthcare-related measurements where there is a capture of a data, uh, storage of a data, transmission of a data to help clinical operations, maybe health operations in a wellness setting. But those are not the ones which are regulated. Those are not the ones that needs evidence-based clinical studies are categorized as this large digital health category. Right. So let's take an example, Fitbit or Apple Watch, which everyone knows about, is this digital health product because it's a consumer product. Sure, yep. They don't claim that they are doing anything other than wellness and prevention. So that falls under digital health. They are clinical decision supports in digital health categories. They are health system supports. They are health IT technology, HIT, and consumer health exchange information infrastructure. Those all falls under the digital health. Okay. When we talk about digital medicine, it becomes a little specific. So digital medicine is essentially evidence-based software and or hardware product that essentially can measure or intervene in some of the other kind of human-related measurements. So think about if I'm wearing a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, a wearable sensor or a connected sensor product, which measures, say, my sleeping activity, my physical activity, um, those becomes now a smaller subset, which is a digital medicine product. When something is a digital medicine product, it is a measurement product that gives objective data using a hardware or software tech component, but has some evidence needed for it. You can't say, oh, and a software app on my Apple store is going to measure my sleep if I keep it 500 meters away. There are accurate measurement criteria that goes under it, verification and validation that goes under it. That becomes a digital medicine product. And there are implications on regulatory side for digital biomarkers. We talk about Fitbit and Apple Watch. Right now in the field, from a clinical side, Parkinson's, we have seen over 30 years, there has been multiple drugs that have came down to the market for Parkinson's. Right. Mm -hmm. Yet there has been not a single drug that has been completely effective because until now we were not able to measure Parkinson patients' activities. When we did some of these studies, we found out that the Parkinson patient, for example, says that for them it's important to have the walking ability. So that becomes a measurement of interest for digital medicine. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is like a blockage in the heart that leads to someone not being able to perform daily activities as they want. They want to include or understand a patient's activity. You know, that activity could be number of steps per day. That activity could be 
how much physical activity they have in one day, in 60 seconds, how many steps a person is taking. Right. Those are critical measurement points that becomes interest for research. And then the walking ability, when used with an accelerator or gyrometer as a tech device, can help with an accelerometer units. Again, I'm talking very research focused, but now an Apple Watch when used for a Parkinson's patient or an Apple Watch being used, say, in clinical trials, the consumer data now becomes a health data. There are implications to what we are measuring in clinical trials, even though a patient or user is still using the same Apple Watch, but the measurement has changed. We are changing what we are measuring for that patient. Now it's very specific. So now that same Apple Watch or Fitbit has transitioned from a digital health product based on intended use, which was wellness in the common market. Or just fitness. Mm -hmm, to now more health measurement, to something that has clear implications on regulatory privacy, security, data, uh, becomes a digital medicine product. So really digital medicine is a subset of digital healthcare. That device is taking the measurements and uh, actually applying them to a regimen or something that is specific to a patient. A hundred percent specific for their disease, their disorder, their physiological function, their behavioral function. That becomes a digital medicine because it has moved beyond fitness. That's how the infrastructure of digital health, which encompasses all tools to digital medicine, which becomes very specific based on what purpose it has or what purpose that tool has in context to clinical care or clinical research. Okay. So let's take a step down. So how does their digital therapeutics fit into the framework of digital medicine? This is a new class of categorization. Digital therapeutics is like a subset of digital medicine. So digital health, mm -hmm. digital medicine, and then digital therapeutics, which is a medical intervention when driven by a software that does one or the other things, which is treatment, management, or prevention of a disease or a disorder. Okay. So it is very specific to not measurement like digital medicine, not overall consumer facing like digital health, but rather one that is software driven. It is clinically evaluated and it does treatment management or prevention of a disease or disorder. One that can be prescribed or cannot be a prescribed digital therapeutic product. One that can act as a standalone digital therapeutic versus one that can also be connected to a drug or a biologic can become a digital therapeutic product. And there are a few foundational principles for that. And I'm happy to share an example in a second. What constitutes actual digital therapeutic is not only the prevention and management, but also it incorporates the end user. If it's a patient, then end users in the product design and development and the deployment of it. That also incorporates patients' privacy and security measures in place. Mm -hmm. That also applies or has some kind of trial data that supports the evidence underneath to give you a context is opioid use disorder, for example. Mm -hmm. It's such a large problem in US. There are therapies like buprenorphine, drugs that are given for opioid use disorder patients. A digital therapeutic of an opioid use disorder by a company called Paratherapeutic, it's called Reset O. It's a DTX product, a buprenorphine assisted treatment. So someone who is already on a buprenorphine drug is given this DTX therapy, a digital therapy or digital therapeutic that they can take at their home, essentially, it's a 48-day adjunct treatment where individuals will have cognitive behavioral therapy on their phones or on their laptop where they'll see some 
videos. They will interact with this digital therapeutic app, software app. Mm -hmm. And it was found that 71% of patients essentially were craving between 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. opioids when doctor's offices are closed. Right. So what do these opioid OUD patients do? They go back to taking opioids. So that's why digital therapeutics are important, where they can be intervened whenever they want on their phones. They can continue their treatment at their home, at their convenience, which is prescribed, which is also has some clinical support or evidence underneath that because it has been tested in clinical trials on how it works for the patient. So the therapeutic is for a specific disease or a specific issue rather than general measurements or general data collection. Correct. It is for treatment or management. I had read that one of the original areas of DTX was diabetes. Is that still a major area? What areas has digital therapeutics branched out into? I wasn't aware of the opioid treatment. It has evolved into multiple areas. As you said, Raymond, it started with diabetes because it was the most common chronic condition that a lot of individuals in America or globally have. It's a wonderful way to have tools, not go to the doctor's office and worry about all the co-payments that comes later. There are multiple therapeutic areas that DTX has matured into and the field has become ready for. And I'll walk you through a few examples. Uh, It has from cardiovascular, from neurology, from dermatology to gastroenterology to even behavioral ADHD that a lot of kids have across the globe. It is also something that is prevalent for adults too. There's this company called Achille Interactive building Endeavor Rx, which is a DTX solution prescribed for kids age 8 to 14. It's a video game, first video game that is cleared by FDA based on their effectiveness data, based on the safety data, and which kids can play essentially 25 minutes a day, five days a week, for four weeks, a treatment plan for ADHD. And it has shown significant improvement in attention spans for kids age 8 to 12. Okay. We've also seen in musculoskeletal space, so for pain management. I'll give you two examples on pain management, one for musculoskeletal and one for normal addictive pain. Kia Health, which uses motion sensors attached to an individual's body, so an individual can use their phone, keep that in front of wherever they are. They can do virtual PT sessions which becomes a DTX because they study it, they have real-time monitoring on how they're doing. And what it was found is DTX reduced 58% of the pain compared to 40% in the control setting. So at home, pain management through these motion sensors is considered as a DTX. Another one, Relief VRX, which is a virtual reality product that was first cleared by FDA that uses virtual reality headsets that individuals wear. It's for adults 18 and over, where daily treatment for an eight-week treatment showed improvement significantly in pain scales and pain levels that were compared to the control setting. I'm a clinician, so I speak more from the data. But these are some of the therapies that are prevalent and are being used, essentially. You know, they're neurology, like for stroke rehabilitation and multiple sclerosis patients who have movement disorder. There's a DTX med rhythm uses music and something called as rhythmic auditory stimulation, which is a clinical term that uses music and sensors to essentially help them rehabilitate. There are therapies in smoking cessation, in oncology or cancer care management. There are therapies in insomnia for sleep disorders. Mm -hmm. So across the board now, 
field is ready to mature beyond that diabetes space. And now innovators are looking forward to exploring various different spaces for digital therapeutics. Going back to the ADHD, my son has ADHD and he's prescribed Adderall. So you're saying that the digital therapeutics have a similar efficacy to pharmaceutical solutions? Yes. One of the things that even as a clinician, we don't want is, and as a parent, rightly, we don't want kids to give pills and more and more pills when we can have a digital solution to it. So yes, the Endeavor RX, which is a FDA cleared product, has really strong results. It has been tested for the last seven years in clinical trials to show the efficacy levels as good as the drugs that are being taken, for example, in Adderall in a comparative settings. And it has been shown impressive results for ADHD. I'm an adult. I don't even have an ADHD and I want to play that video game just to improve my attention span and focus. (laughs) Imagine that for kids. (laughs) Yeah, that was around. That would have been the way my son clearly would have gone rather than and the Adderall, and there are all kinds of issues with medication, whereas it seems that the regimen for the digital therapeutic is four weeks and we're done. Yeah, 25 minutes a day, four day, five days a week, and then four weeks, which is a month's regimen. And an individual can have an increased attention span compared to continuous drug treatment that could be repeated if symptoms are not improving. So I think it's shifting the way we care. Again, this has not been incorporated as a clinical guidelines, but because being new, it takes some time to get there. However, Solutions like these will change the health and the care for our parents, ourselves, our kids in the next few years. Interesting. So I know we've all seen commercials for Prevagen, you know, that's supposed to help improve attention and mental capabilities as we age. Is that something that could be accomplished through a digital therapeutic maybe in the future? I think yes and no. I'm hopeful it can be accomplished because there are various areas from attention, from sleep, from activity measurements that are being looked at, that are being researched. And I come from a stance where time we believe that hire a research scientist first who creates labels for your product, hire a scientist first, hire engineer second, and then hire a marketing manager because that's how you build the right infrastructure for a good evidence-based product that will be not just out in the market, but it will be adopted by multiple different end users. If it's patient, then definitely patients will want to use that. So the long answer to that, I think, yes, we will see a lot more digital therapeutics that will be developed over the years. We have seen a span of right now over 100 digital therapeutics in the research phase. Wow, that's huge. And interestingly, I was reading this survey from TLGC's consulting, not the most accurate data because I've not seen their statistic analysis, but what they had captured was the brand prescription drugs percent rate and then the new digital health product rates growth, which was, I think, 22% versus brand prescription drug at 7%, was correlated at 2035, so 12 years from now, equivalent number of products that we will have from brand prescription products versus the digital health products uh, and, and a subset, hopefully, in the digital therapeutics that we will be able to see a lot more of something that can improve care significantly. That's really impressive. It is such a new area. I think I read the first time the term was even used was less than 10 years ago. 
And yet we've already got over 100 therapeutic products in the pipeline to cure this huge neurological, cardiovascular, mental health, diabetes, on and on as therapies for the different ailments. That's huge growth. Let's pivot to a set of rapid fire questions, which come from our sponsored partner, Microchip Technology, providing engineers innovative products to reduce risk, lower cost, and speed time to market for applications across industrial, communications, automotive, and more. Explore more from them by visiting mauser.com slash microchip. What is the most innovative, and I'll let you define that yourself, innovative therapy that you've come across in your experience with digital therapeutics or even digital medicine in general? I have one on top of my mind. It's the smart toilet seat. It is one of the most amazing therapy. So the smart toilet seat developed by one of the Rochester University's researchers, they are a startup applying for FDA process. They have three different sensors on the toilet seats that essentially measures fluid overload for heart failure patients. So what happened in a heart failure patients, there's a buildup of fluids over five to six kilograms in uh, three to five days. That means that someone is going to have a heart failure, an indication on a clinical side that we always look for. This smart toilet seat essentially does not ask for anything. Individuals go do their potty, sit on the toilet seat for 30 to 60 seconds and measures the fluid overload. That's amazing. Which is incredible because patient has to change nothing. And in a preventative sense, we are able to find such rich data, identify if someone is going to have a heart failure or heart attack. So I think that would be the most innovative one. That is amazing. As an advocate for digital menace, I know you've traveled a zillion different places. What has been your most favorite place to travel over the last few years? That place is actually somewhere where there was a little less digital. It was Madagascar. So pre-pandemic and a couple of my friends, we love non-traditional places. And Madagascar was one of the ones. And I had on my checklist to climb mountains. We were on this bay, which is a national park that is very close to a calcite form, naturally formed mountains where you can do rock climbing, very dangerous thrilling experience and do like night hikes in the rainforest and things like that. So that was my most (laughs) interesting experience. Sounds like a lot like exercise. It does. And I had no wearable sensors at that time, no connectivity when I was in the rainforest. So it was perfect because I was not measuring anything. I was just living there. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Uh, Going back to specifically therapeutics, as a clinician, I know you've been involved in a lot of different trials. Have you had a favorite one? In other words, one that really touched you in some way or one that really stood out? Because I'm not the patient for a lot of these digital therapeutics, I don't have ADHD or like cardiovascular problems. I have not tested But in an ideal world, if I had to, or if I have a wish list, Keely Interactive is working on expansion of Endeavor Arts, the video game for ADHD in adult population. They are testing on adult population to see if it has similar results, if they have to make any changes. But a video game that you can actually use in a real life setting, I think it's a magnificent I'm an adult. I don't even play video games, but I would totally play that video game to increase my attention span. So I would have to go with that. I am a gamer. I'm always playing at least one game. And to me, yeah, you're right. It would be the best of both was being able to play in a game that I enjoy plus actually get a benefit from it. That would be amazing. Yeah, it's like making medicine fun. What a great way to 
shift medicine is making it fun because who likes to go to doctors? Who likes to take drugs? We all have to at some point in our life, but can we make healthcare a little bit more fun? Absolutely. Last rapid fire. If you could do anything other than what you're doing today as a job, what would that be? Oh, goodness. I have not thought about it because this is from my pharmacy world, which I was in the past, to this is my favorite ideal state world. If I was doing anything other than what I'm doing right now, I think I would do policy writing and or more on the world of advocacy because I see a lot of passionate individuals, intelligent individuals in this space, whatever I can do to influence policies that impacts individuals' health, individuals' living, be it climate or food security, be it home security, I would shift my career in the advocacy world essentially to just make it bigger, make it better for all of us living so that the short timeline that we have, we all can live more peacefully with and healthier and better. I think you'd be awesome at it. Just from the time that we spent together, you would be amazing at that. Thanks for joining us for part one of our conversation with Dr. Smith Patel. Be sure to catch the next episode of our discussion as we dive deeper into digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more, the Tech Between Us podcast is just one piece of Mauser's in-depth look at this subject. Explore the entire Empowering Innovation Together content series at mauser.com slash empowering innovation for technical articles, use cases, and more. A leading provider of embedded solutions, Microchip Technology provides engineers an innovative and comprehensive product portfolio aimed to reduce risk, lower cost, and speed time to market for applications across industrial, communications, automotive, and more. To learn more, visit mauser.com forward slash microchip.